0: Well, it's good to be back with you again this week, and I'm seeing some faces I saw last week, so thanks for coming back. Uh, I'm under no delusion that you've come to church for me, uh, that it's all about Jesus and God, so it's good to see you again. I'm Father Greg Peters. I'll be here for the month of August, uh, filling in for uh, Father Scott while he's on at least the first month of his sabbatical. And it's great to be doing this. I just came off of two months of sabbatical myself, and so when Scott contacted me back in the spring and said... I know you'll be coming off sabbatical. Would you be able to fill in? And, he, and I said, of course, because I want you to have your sabbatical. And how could I not be rested up and ready to go again? But last week, two services and then the anticipation of a third at Epiphany wore me out. And so uh, not as young as I used to be. And I actually remembered this week that I used to serve here back in my 30s, you could say. So uh I'm 47, so that's actually kind of saying something about how long it's been. But it's good to see you all uh, this morning as we are given an opportunity through the lectionary to think about what faith is, or more, perhaps more appropriately to think about what are the effects of faith. Now, I myself in the past have been tempted to think, if someone said, well, what is faith? Oh, well, let's go to Hebrews 11, verse 1. It defines faith. I'm actually less convinced of that now. I don't think Hebrews 11.1 1 actually sets out to give a definition of faith. It, it might in some sense do something like that, but I don't think that's its purpose. Its purpose is to point out the effects of faith. And it's the effects that must necessarily happen in the life of those who possess faith. So as people of faith, there are certain obligations we have as people of faith. I mean, it would be fun to stay intellectual. Let's think about what faith is and keep it up in our minds. That's how I'm wired. But that's not what Hebrews wants to do. Hebrews wants to say, faith has consequences. So if you're a person of faith, there's consequences. So let's see what those are this morning. But let's go ahead and begin with verse 1, which was read for us. Now, faith is, and I realize the is there. How could this not be a definition? But, but I'm, again, I don't, I don't think that's its point Again, point is the effects of faith, but faith is, the author of Hebrews tells us, the assurance of things hoped for. Now, I've been at this a while, preaching and studying theology for quite a while, but I didn't know until this week. This tells you how, how I haven't consulted the right commentaries, apparently, but until this week, I didn't know that the Greek word there for assurance is the same word, hypostasis, that we use to talk about the persons of the Trinity, So we say the Father is a hypostasis, the Son is a different hypostasis, and the Spirit is a different hypostasis. That's the three distinct persons. And in fact, in Latin, that would be the word persona. They're of one being, but they are three different hypostases. And so that's this word. So the word assurance there carries this weird connotation related to Trinitarian theology, right? And so... The KJV, the King James Version of the Bible, I think gets better, more close to the the meaning of this when it starts off this verse by saying, faith is the substance of things hoped for, right? Because that's what the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are, substances, not, don't fill that in with Plato ideas or, you know, like, you know, clay or something. That's not what I mean by substance. But they are each three distinct substances, hypostases, and faith is the substance, the assurance, the evidence, if you will, of things hoped for. So we have this assurance or this substantial understanding, maybe we could say it like that. And it's based on the strength of the promises of God that the future is a matter of certain conviction. We have the assurance of things hoped for, right? So we don't just look to the future and say, I hope for certain things. I hope that I'll remain a person of faith. I hope that one day when I grow old and die, that I will be with God forever in heaven. Those things aren't just vain hopes, but we have assurance of them. They are substantial hopes because they are rooted in the certain conviction that we have that what God says he will do, that he will do. And that's the point of the language of like hypostasis. like God is a real thing. He's not someone who's becoming a real thing. He is a real thing. So our assurance is real. It's based in these real things. We don't just merely hope for them, but I trust that we have a certain conviction that those things will come to fruition, that we believe in these truths. I think we probably have a foundational assurance and conviction that come April 16th, next year, if I have not filed my taxes, the IRS will send me a letter eventually. I'm not saying they're that efficient, right? (laughs) But we have an assurance of that. Well, because we're pretty sure that rests on a conviction that the U.S. wants to collect its taxes, right? So move that over into faith. We have an assurance, a substantial belief in these things because we have a conviction that what God has promised will, in fact, come to pass. And that leads to the second part of the verse, that faith is the conviction of things not seen. The word conviction there carries maybe with it the idea of proving. And this is a way we don't talk often anymore. But there is one English, there is an English translation called the Revised English Version that translates the word conviction as proving. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the proving of things not seen, And proving means both things have been put to the test. We prove them to be true, right? That's kind of a scientific way of thinking about things. Matter of fact, proofs, right? We prove these things to be true. But proving also has that we approve of these things. So we have a conviction of things not seen. They are proven to be true. And we ourselves approve, believe of these things not seen. So maybe perhaps... The evidence is another way that it often gets translated in English. So faith is the assurance, the substantial belief of things hoped for, the evidence, the proving of things not seen. So all that's to say, faith is not blind. Never has been from a theological standpoint, never will be. Faith by definition cannot be blind. It has to be an assured faith, a proven faith, a faith of conviction both that what will happen will happen because it's rooted in the certain conviction that God's nature will make it so, but also we have a conviction of things not seen, that we believe that those things themselves exist. And the book of Hebrews, to the latter point about things not seen, talks a lot about unseen things. Chapter 9, verse 24, Christ has entered, the author says, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself. Where is Christ? He's in heaven. We talked last week about the consequences of the ascended Christ, but Christ has entered not into things made with hands, but into where? Heaven himself. Those things that we can't see, that place we can't see, but we, again, have a conviction, a proof that it's there. Chapter 10, verse 19, quote, We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Again, these, these holy places, we, we haven't seen those necessarily, but we believe and have a confidence that we're going to enter into them by way of the blood of Jesus. And that harkens back to the tabernacle, that only the high priest got to ever see the inner sanctum of the, holy, of the tabernacle. And so, though we do not see those things, we believe that we, have, uh, we can enter into those places because of Jesus. And then, in this very chapter... Um, the author talks about the city whose designer and builder is God, right? That city that's not yet to come, that, that eternal heavenly city where we will reign and rule with Christ one day. So again, the author of Hebrews cares about these unseen things. Now, we may not spend a lot of our days thinking about unseen things, right? We, we spend most of our days thinking about things we can see. So when I get up and run in the morning, I really only have two routes. And to be honest with you, I really only have one route. But the second route I'll take in the summer while students aren't in session because I don't want to bump into students at 6.15 in the morning on Biola's campus. Nothing would be worse than a student talking to me at 6.15 in the morning, right? So I don't, and much less, I don't want to be running on the track while the student laps me or something like that, right? And so I don't want them to see how weak i actually am so i have this other route i run in our neighborhood but one of the first thing it causes me to do is to go up a set of stairs now i haven't ever done this but i have that fear that at six fifteen in the morning when i'm kind of still waking up that's part of what the run does is wake me up i've stretched and all but i am terrified about tripping on those stairs right how embarrassing to be tripping up a set of stairs at 6 15 in the morning while you're trying to exercise of all things so I stay focused on, the, on those stairs. I stay focused on the curbs. I stay focused on the road whenever I know there's something coming up. And because I run one route, I know when to look up and when I can look down, right? But I mean, the point is, is that when we focus on those things, most of us don't, don't get up every day and say, forget these things I can see. I won't focus on those. I'll focus on all the things I can't see. Now I'll drive to work. Right? You know, that's not how we operate. We, we spend our days focused on the things that we can see. Yet faith, its consequences is that we, f- that we also need to focus on and think about the things that aren't seen. Now, again, this might be kind of what faith is, but the author to the Hebrews is more concerned, not so much about the definition, but about the consequences. What are the effects of faith? And again, this matters to us because if we claim to be people of faith, if we are people of faith, then there's consequences to that faith. Well, let me just highlight three for us today. The first is found in verse 3. And each one of these begins with the phrase, by faith. Right? That's one of the refrains throughout this chapter, by faith. Verse 3, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So the first effect of faith is an understanding that God made the world. Its cause is ultimately spiritual, not material. Now, I'm not denying that God has not used some sort of material evolution or something like that to get the world to the place it is today. But the author of the Hebrews says, if you're a person of faith, you'll understand that the universe was created by the word of God. Now, that might mean Jesus, but probably not because it's not the word logos there. But by the word of God, God spoke the world into existence. So if you're a person of faith, for some reason, the author of the Hebrews thinks this is one of its first effects, belief in God as the creator. And I think it matters that God is the creator does it not that has consequences to the world if god is the creator of it and we see those consequences just in a moment with abraham for example but if the world is just material processes playing themselves out then who cares but if god made it there's consequences to it right both in the sense that he's God, if he made the world, that says something about the person I ought to be paying attention to and worshiping. But also, if God made the world, it should dictate the way I live in it. And I've said before, maybe even from this very pulpit back in the day, I will not live in a tree to save it, but I will recycle that tree dutifully. Right? So even something small like that, that God made the world, so my way of being in it has to be influenced by that that I'm not allowed just to see the world as a series of materialistic processes that are playing themselves out, but instead behind the world, sustaining it, not just creating it, but the fact that the sun came up today, right, is because of God's good graces to us in sustaining that which he has made. He may be sustaining it through biological processes, but he is behind all of that. So that's the first effect of faith. If you're a person of faith, you'll believe that God made the world that its cause is spiritual and not material. Second comes, I think, in verses 8 through 9. And it could also be playing on the Enoch passage, but it's 8 and 9 says this, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs to the same promise. So the second effect of faith is obedience in spite of uncertainty. Obedience in spite of uncertainty. Abraham was uncertain about things. He went out not knowing where he was going. Christina and I and the boys moved here 14 years ago this month, just this past week, in fact. But we knew where we were going. I mean, we trusted the guy who moved our stuff here knew where it was going. But when we got on the plane in Toronto and moved here, we knew where we were going. Right? I had seen the house once, and in that sense, Christina did not know where she was going. We certainly didn't understand the roads around here, but we were not Abraham. We didn't know where we did we knew where we were going. We weren't clueless as to where we were going. But yet Abraham is obedient in spite of that uncertainty. God said, I'm going to send you to a land over here so what did Abraham do? He got up and he left. He was obedient in spite of not knowing. So as people of faith, we are to be obedient in spite of any uncertainties that may come with it. Now, sometimes that means really radical things, right? That God calls you from the blessed land of Virginia, where I am from, to California. God's ways are inscrutable. Who knows why that would happen to me in my lifetime. But here I am, I came thinking that God had called me 14 years later, feeling that's still the case. Again, with a little more certainty than Abraham had, but we did it. And so sometimes God's call is radical and it might, it might mean leaving jobs and family and uprooting ourselves. But, but most of the time, obedience is just small, hardly noticeable. Right? Eugene Peterson used to talk about an obedience in the right direction, that we just point ourselves in the right direction towards God and obedience looks like little small things. I mean, I know the big stories are the fun stories, right? The missionary stories are great. People leave home. We heard one this morning in in the adult education hour. It was great and inspiring. People leave home, in this case two women, plowing into the Belgian Congo, doing God's work. Yeah, for most of us, that's not the case. My obedience looks a little bit more mundane, actually. It often looks like me sitting in my office. Faithfully doing the work that God's called me to do. But if God were to call me into a situation that I don't know why he's doing it. If I'm a person of faith, I move into that place of obedience. So first, I understand that God made the world. That's the first effect of faith. Second, obedience in spite of uncertainty. And then lastly and thirdly, it's based on Sarah. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. Even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful Who had promised? Now, if we go back and look at that passage in Genesis, there was some laughing, right? Sarah, you're going to have a child. (laughs) That's not possible. I'm really old. Well, so she got a kid named Laughter out of it, right? But the point is, is Sarah herself believed on God's promises, not on the this-worldly reality, which was that I'm way too old to have a kid. So if we're people of faith, we will have a belief, We will have a faith based on God's promises, not on the circumstances at hand, right? Like Sarah, we will have a kind of belief that when God says it's going to happen, it will happen, right? She herself received power to conceive, even when she was past three, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Okay, God, if you think I can have a child at this age with that old man over there who's my husband, great. You'll have to do it. And God did it. Right? So another effect of faith, this kind of belief that no matter what I'm staring at right now, that this worldly reality of my life is not the end of the story. That if God promises something, God will be faithful to bring it about. And like last week, we see these things perhaps illustrate it most clearly in our gospel reading. Jesus says to his disciples, fear not, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give them to the needy. Don't provide yourself with anything. That's what fear not means. Right? Fear not. Because of God's good pleasure, you can sell everything and what? Trust God. Now, I'm dutifully putting money in the bank. I'm dutifully going to a financial guy every year and all that kind of stuff. Why? Why? I don't think it's because I don't fear God. I don't think it's because I've put more stock into those that money and that treasure, if you will, than I should. But I am also thinking that at some point I'd like to quit getting up and going to work every day. Not, not because I'm lazy, but probably just so I can do something different at a certain age, right? So it's not that. This, we don't have to give and sell everything. That's not the command here at all. But it's an illustration that people of faith don't fear if God calls them to divest themselves of everything. And and maybe we do need to examine ourselves and think we're too attached to things, but I don't think that's the point I want to make today. Instead, I just want to say that in faith, we can fear not. Why? Because of God's good pleasure. God cares for us. So we could sell and just simply trust in God. And perhaps we should, or at least if we don't, We need to bear in mind that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. So we do need to think about how we're attached to those things. But also, Luke 12 tells us to stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. When I was in boot camp with the Navy, we often just slept in our dungarees. If you've been in the Navy or you've seen pictures of those guys wearing, I don't know if they're still bell bottoms, but they were when I was in, right? They're literally denim pants, blue shirts. We slept in those in boot camp, mostly because you never actually slept in your bed. You slept on your bed or under it on the floor, but I think I made my bed right once and I never unmade that bed. <laughs> and I wasn't the only one. That was how most of us and and we would sleep fully dressed most of the time because at any point your company commanders could, you know, have fun with you and get you out of bed. But I also remember that barracks being lit up all the time. I don't remember the lights ever being out in that place. But you're so exhausted in boot camp, you don't care. You sleep anyway. But I remember just always having lights on, always being dressed, always sleeping on top of my bed. So that's not exactly what the text is saying. Stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning. Don't put on your pajamas and keep your lights on all night. (laughs) That's not what he's saying. I've lived it. It's kind of miserable. But instead, we're not to live for the here and the now, but for what is yet to come. Again, like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, we don't live for now. We live for what's to come. We believe in the promises of God. And so staying just for action and keeping our lamps burning means that we're anticipating that God, Christ, is going to come back at some point. Maybe in our lifetime, maybe not. But we're to be ready for it. Right? So to be people of faith means that... We, um, fear not, we don't trust in things of the earth and we stay dressed and ready for action for Christ can come back at any moment. And so we need to ask ourselves in conclusion, are we people of faith, not people who might be able to describe what faith is, or maybe even to have a technical definition of faith. But if we're people of faith, does our life show it? Does it look like we are people of faith? Would someone know it if they saw you? Because again, faith is not just a thing. It has effects. It is the assurance and the substantial belief in things hoped for. It is the conviction of proving of things not seen, but it it manifests itself in our life. So the power that comes from God, let us allow him to make us people of faith. Let us allow him to grow our faith in such a way that our actions, that the effects of our faith become evident to others so let us be like abraham let us be like sarah let us be those things but not just to have it and keep it to ourselves but so that our effects of faith are seen by others in the name of god father son and holy spirit